With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What if AI could help your business deliver mission-critical outcomes with speed? With IBM Consulting, your business can design, build, and scale trusted AI using Watson X and modernize the way you work to accelerate real impact. Let's create AI that transforms your business. Learn more at ibm.com slash consulting. IBM. Let's create. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Trickeration, a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome to the Trickeration podcast on iHeartMedia, the number one podcast about deception in sports. I'm your host, Matt, here each week with an honest conversation about a dishonest act, schemes, scams, hoaxes, on-field cheating, off-field pranks, whatever it is, we are here to talk about it with people directly involved. This week, we've got the story behind the kidnapping of Handsome Dan, the Yale Bulldog, and the inner details on how the dognappers pulled it off. All right, on to the show. When you're 19, 20 years old, you think you're going to live forever and nothing can get you. Yes, there was some risk involved, but at the same time, the downside was essentially meaningless. And it was one of my singular accomplishments in college. There's not a long list of them. It was a really fun time. I'm speaking with a couple of Princeton grads, class of 81, Scott Thompson, a lawyer, and Jamie Herbert, who is an assistant U.S. attorney for the District of Massachusetts. Jamie, do I have that right? I can neither confirm nor deny my current place of employment. All right, I'll take that as a yes. And Scott, how did you and Jamie know each other at Princeton? We both participated in an informal club called the Wednesday Night Club, which was a group of people who were committed to the idea that getting drunk on the weekends was not enough. And that was pretty much the entire purpose of the Wednesday Night Club. And Jamie, for the event that we're about to talk about, who were the people involved? So it was uh, Scott and me, uh, Rod Shepard, who I think had the idea initially, and uh, another guy named Mark Hallam, who was the wheelman for this. And how did you guys come up with this idea? Like what, what led to this? I remember it very clearly. So it was the Thursday before the game with Yale, and I was walking through the campus, and it was a beautiful day, and Rod was out in front of his dorm just throwing the football around with some people. And we started talking about the game, and we were talking about how this used to be a big rivalry, and nobody cared anymore. It was total apathy, which probably had something to do with the fact that we had lost to Yale 14 years straight. And so I'm pretty sure it was Rod who said, you know, we got to do something to fire up the campus and get some of the school spirit back. You know, we should go and steal their bulldog or something. And I concurred. I thought that was the appropriate course of action. 
And then we just went over and had lunch. And Rod must have announced at lunch that we decided to go steal the Yale Bulldog. And uh, that met with some approval from the table. And there's a group of us sitting around kind of brainstorming, how do we even get to the point of finding out where this dog actually is? And somebody had read a Sports Illustrated piece that had talked about how Yale had just appointed their first female handsome Dan, uh, whose real name was Bingo. Somebody got the idea that we should start by calling up and seeing if we can interview somebody at Yale under the guise of being a reporter. So we figured that the band probably knew where the dog lived. And so we just called up the main number for Yale. Director assistance. And asked if we could be connected to the band office. And to our great surprise, they connected me to a room that appeared to be the room where the band was rehearsing. I said, you know, my name is Mike Rivielli. I'm a reporter with New West Magazine. And uh, I'm doing a story on college mascots. I said, uh, I understand your, your mascot's a bulldog. He said, yes, it is. I said, now, is this a real bulldog or is it somebody in a bulldog suit? I said, no, it's, it's a real bulldog. And, you know, all the while, there's all this noise in the background. You can hear this guy put the phone down and, and yell, hey, would you guys keep it down? I'm talking to a reporter. So he starts telling me about the mascot. And I said, hey, this sounds great. Listen, I'm in New York and I've got a photographer with me. And I'd love to come up and get some shots of members of the band with a bulldog. You know, could we do that? He said, yeah, that'd be fine. And I said, so, you know, who keeps the bulldog? And uh, he said, well, it's a retired professor who has the bulldog, but there's a particular cheerleader who is the point of contact with this professor. So he gave me this guy's name and number. So we call up the cheerleader, you know, Mark Murphy or something. And, you know, let's go through the same sort of thing with Murphy. We've got the name of the professor at that point, Roland Osterweiss. So we hang up and we figure, well, next calls to the directory assistants. Ask for the number for Roland Osterweiss. And by the time we called the professor, it was right after dinner, like around, you know, 6, 6.30. And the professor answers the phone. Hello? And I said, Professor Osterweiss, this is Mark Murphy from the cheerleading squad. And we're just wondering if some of us could come by and borrow bingo for a photo shoot. And he said, yeah, that'd be fine, Mark. What time do you want to come by? So at that point, we're ready to just mad scramble to figure how fast can we get to New Haven? So I said, how would nine o'clock be? <laughs> He said, oh, geez, Mark, you know, Mrs. Osterweiss and I are uh, kind of early to better, so that's a little on the late side. I said, yeah, I totally get that. But it won't take long, and, you know, we're kind of under the gun time-wise. And he said, all right, that'd be fine. I'll see you at 9. So we, we didn't even know where the professor lived. We just figured we'd better get up to New Haven as fast as possible. And so <laughs> that's what we did. <laughs> Started driving to New Haven. I do remember getting into New Haven. We pulled over at a payphone and uh, called directory assistance. And at that point, you could get a live operator. And I said, can I have the number for Roland Osterweiss, which we already had. The operator gave me the number. And I said, just to be sure I've got the right one, 
is this the Osterweiss on Hodge Road? She said, no, it's the Osterweiss on Center Street. And I said, oh, that's right, 431 Center Street. She said, no, 12 Center Street. So we had the address, and then we just pulled into a gas station. And we said, can you give us directions to Center Street? And they did. And then before we knew it, we were pulling in front of Professor Osterweiss's house, really at just about the stroke of nine o'clock. And since you guys were supposed to be Yale cheerleaders, were you guys wearing Yale sweatshirts or any Yale garb? We should have had Yale sweaters on. Uh, I remember I was dressed in somebody's three-piece suit that somebody had loaned me when they thought I was going to go up there in the guise of being a reporter. We figured reporters must wear three-piece suits. And just how nervous were you guys at this point? We were very nervous. For all we knew, Professor Osterweiss knew what Mark Murphy looked like. So, you know, I think we were prepared to say, well, you know, Mark couldn't make it at the last minute, so he sent us. But we knock on the door, and after a short while, you can hear the jingling of a dog leash. (laughs) And the door opens, and there's this kindly retired professor with a bulldog at the end of a leash. This is where I totally started to freak out. He gives us the dog and says, all right, just have her back as soon as you can. And we were standing in his hallway and we start to get to the front door to leave. And he had disappeared into like a back kitchen. And we hear this voice from the back say, wait a minute, don't move. And I think, oh man, you know, he was onto us the whole time. He's called the police, you know, we're gonna get arrested. And he comes back with this box of dog biscuits and said, you know, she won't do anything without these. And we just took off and we started driving down I-95 back to school. We imagined ourselves as being on the 10 most wanted list at this point. From there until New York City, we had people looking out for cops. And we were like on the edge of the seat, just watching for the flashing lights or for any cops who might be lying in wait. And Scott, how was the dog handling all of this? The dog was agitated. The dog was agitated. We were also nervous because the damn dog was panting the whole time. And we thought the dog was going to die. And the other thing I remember about the drive was that that dog had really bad gas. I mean, it was almost a skunk-like mechanism for this dog. I mean, it's pretty cold night, and it was not comfortable to be driving with the windows down. But this dog, it was a very gassy dog. And... We had told the professor that we would have the dog back in no more than an hour. So we figured we better stop about, you know, 45 minutes down the road and just tell them what the scoop was. So we pulled over to a rest area around Stamford, and I get nominated to call him. Hello? Professor Osterweiss, um, just... Calling to let you know that um, Bingo's not coming back for a while. And without missing a beat, this guy says, you're from Princeton, aren't you? And the guy says, well, let me tell you something, son. You're about to cross state lines with stolen property. And if you don't bring that dog back right now, I'm calling the police. So we get back to the car and we have a little huddle amongst the four of us as to what to do. I mean, had this gone too far? Should we just put an end to it or should we go on? And once we took the vote and we decided to continue, we were pretty committed at that point. All right. So what happens when you guys get back to Princeton? 
you had to go through one of the gates and there was campus police at each of the gates. And by then the people from Yale probably would have called and said, you know, be on the lookout for a car with a dog. So we got up this big heavy wool blanket and covered up the dog and they waved us right on. So we're sitting in their apartment and we figure, what's a prank without publicity? So we call the New York Times and ask for the sports desk. And we get somebody on the sports desk at the time. And I said, I've got a big scoop for you. And he said, all right, what is it? And I said, well, we're from Princeton and we've just stolen the Yale Bulldog. And there's a pause and the guy goes, so? And I said, well, I think your readers would like to know about this. And he said, let me tell you something, pal. I went to St. John's and we used to steal the Fordham Ram all the time. And that never made the New York Times. And your bulldog isn't going to make the New York Times either. I called the AP and I get somebody from the sports desk at the AP and he loves it. He said, give me all the details. And the next morning we're sitting around at breakfast and somebody hands us the sports section of the New York Times. And just above the AP byline is a picture of handsome Dan under the headline doggone. So they ended up picking up the AP story. The plan was to return the dog on Saturday at halftime of the big game. By Friday night, we knew that there were Yaleys around who were looking to try and find the dog. So we ended up driving her down to the Friday evening football practice. And there was a lot of dancing around her and shouting and trying to spook her, which didn't lower her stress level. And throughout this whole thing, how concerned were you about potential disciplinary action? Like, was this something that could have led to being expelled or you knew this was totally small potatoes? So I I think we all felt pretty comfortable that as long as nothing crazy went wrong and we gave the dog back, it would be okay. But we also did try to make sure that we were not readily identifiable. We got the biggest guys we could find, the crew guys and the athletes. Those were guys who were about 6'5". They were involved in the return of the dog so that in the event that there was a fight or any kind of a (laughs) physical altercation, we would have the muscle on our side. Originally, we were planning to run her out in front of our team at the beginning of the second half. And we decided that would be suboptimal if we were to run her out and she were to expire in front of the 300 fans that were there for the game. (laughs) At halftime, the score was not at a 10. And it was time to return Handsome Dan to the Yale cheerleaders. So it was walked across the field. And of course, the dog was returned with a Princeton scarf, an orange and black scarf tied around its neck, which was, you know, it's a hostage return on the bridge. And so when people realized what was going on, was there a big reaction in the stands? There's definitely a lot of noise from the stands. It was a great cheer when they saw what was going on. And in fact, the dog was returned to the Yale cheerleaders. They were not nice. They were rude. Failed to see the humor in it. But at the time, the game was close, too, as I recall, and it turned into a romp. Yeah, we fired up the team. The only problem was it was the wrong team. Yale blasted Princeton in the second half and extended their win streak with a 35-10 to victory. Once the smoke cleared and it was clear we weren't going to get in trouble, we figured we'd better do something nice for Professor Osterweiser. I remember we sent him a nice bottle of wine and some cigars. He sent me a note back. He could not have been nicer about the whole thing. Yeah, he said it was ingenious what we had done, which, you know, we felt pretty good about. If some obnoxious college kids tricked me into giving up my dog, I would not have been as gracious as Professor Oster was. And did the Princeton administration ever find out who was involved? And if so, was any disciplinary action ever handed down? 
there was a there was a the guy who was the dean of student affairs, and we did get wind that they knew who was involved, but was exercising his discretion not to take any disciplinary action. And I think that was partly due to the fact that there was another revered member of the administration. I think he was the campus historian, and he loved it. So he he had been around for prior bulldog kidnapping incidents, and he just loved the fact that the tradition was being revived. So I think he probably had a hand in keeping us from getting into any serious trouble. All of this just feels like it was from the same era as Animal House, like that's late 70s, early 80s period. Why do you guys think this kind of stuff doesn't really go on anymore? I don't know why. I think times have changed. You don't, you just don't see this kind of thing happening these days. You know, as I see my kids have all come through college, I can't imagine them doing this. And I think people tend to toe the line a little bit more these days. Everybody's so much more concerned about, you know, making the record that's going to propel them from one station to the next. And I think we had the luxury of being at the tail end of not really caring as much about that. And I think we weren't as concerned about what the consequences might be for, for the future. I think that is valid. And I think everyone probably does need to lighten up a little bit more. <laughs> I mean, I, I include myself in that, but you know, I think the world in general has gotten more serious. And did this dog napping have any effects for either of you guys down the road? Like, were you able to tap into this kind of sinister planning with anything else? Senior year, when we were interviewing for jobs and various employers were coming through doing interviews on campus. And I remember an interview with the CIA and the CIA interviewer said, what would you say you're most proud of? So I told the bulldog story. I figured, you know, if there's one employer that could probably appreciate the scheming that went into this, it would be the CIA. And I think she was initially a little surprised that I told the story, but then kind of nodded approvingly. And I know both you guys worked for the government at one point. Do you preemptively say, oh, yeah, there was this whole dog napping thing so it doesn't pop up in a background check? I'm quite sure Scott and I both forgot to mention it when we were applying for jobs with the Department of Justice. Yeah, that didn't that didn't come up. All right, that is it for today's episode. A big thanks to Scott and Jamie. And if you or someone you know is considering stealing a rival animal mascot, I hope this serves as inspiration. A reminder to listeners, please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And while you're at it, might as well rate and review and share and all that good stuff. And as we do every week, we check in with the legend Chris Mad Dog Russo. Chris, how'd we do this week? Maddie, good job. Keep up the good work, pal. Thanks, Chris. All right. Talk to you next week. Trickeration is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... Right this way. It's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? 
Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.